IntelliKey Leadership Stories with your hosts, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Connect with us on LinkedIn or visit our website, pureintellikey.com. Here's your host, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Hi, welcome back, everyone. This is our podcast, IntelliKey Leadership Stories. I'm Mark Stenson, and with me today is Kirsten Gouldy, my co-host. Kirsten, it's great to see you. Hello, Mark. We're back again, and hello to our audience today. Yeah, it's great to have everybody back with us. Kirsten, I know that you've been continuing conversations with both your clients and people that join you on your every other week Friday soul teas. How are those conversations evolving? Oh, I love those conversations, Mark. And it is turning out to be such a wonderful community of what I'm calling like-souled individuals, soul-to-soul conversations. So individuals can develop community and have deeper, more meaningful conversations about how they can empower and expand themselves. So it's been a lot of fun. We're having a great turnout. And it's always fun to kind of take off from our podcast conversation and almost have an extended, you know, evolved conversation about those. So thanks for hosting those. How can people find out about those T programs? The best place to register for it is on my Pure IntelliKey website. It is a complimentary event. It's every other Friday. So there's no fee. I just need your email so I can send you the Zoom link and have you participate, bring your tea and yourself. Well, very good. We look forward to joining those conversations. And for today's conversation, we're just so happy to have as our guest, Dr. Stephen Hall. Dr. Hall, welcome to the program. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, and Dr. Hall has a unique approach to his practice of medicine. He is a board-certified family practitioner, but also adds integrative medicine. And I guess I would say the full mind, body, and soul, and spirit to really bring together the whole person. Uh, Dr. Hall, how did this approach evolve for you, and why is it so important in your mind to treat the whole patient? Well, that's a really good question. My, my roots are family practice which was trained to treat the whole person, of course, and, and the whole family. But my undergraduate, I actually had quite a strong focus on science. I got a degree in chemistry and a degree in material science and engineering and a minor in physics. I was not only interested in the, like the content of science, but also the process, you know, the philosophy of science. You know, how is it that we know that what we think we know is really true? And so when I got into medical school, I was kind of a, a shock to my system because I, the whole time as an undergraduate, I was training myself how to think and problem solve. And, you know, cause engineering is really quite a, a creative um, endeavor. And what I was asked to do in, in medical school was just pure memorization. You know, <laughs> I have to memorize anatomy <laughs> and memorize all the, the drugs and all that kind of thing. And that was a bit of, I had to sort of switch gears in my head, but I, kept touch with that whole idea of what science is and how science works. We were taught the scientific or this medical model, we call it. And even in my first year of medical school, I started meeting people whose experiences with their own health didn't fit the conventional medical model. And one of the most unscientific things a scientist can do is discard data that doesn't fit the model, you know, and, and just stick with the model. So putting the model first is what I call scientism or the religion of science. And the data is really what's primary. The model is just our con- mental construct about the data. So in medicine, the data is 
all of your experiences, all of them, because they all affect your health. So I started looking for a system of medicine that had room in it for all of human experience. So at first I thought, well, maybe alternative medicine had some good answers. So I started searching like nutrition and herbs and homeopathy and Chinese medicine. And I even, I studied with a Native American shaman for a while to learn about their concepts of health and, and spirit and healing and that sort of thing. And, but I started putting it all together. And at the same time in my practice, I started getting interested in people who weren't being helped by conventional medicine and also often even alternative medicine. People with these chronic diseases that just weren't getting good answers. Because I knew in my gut there had to be something to help these people. And so along the way, I started studying some body work as well. And the form of body work that I really sort of stuck with is um, subspecialty of osteopathy called um, cranial osteopathy. And I'd also studied um, clinical hypnosis along the way. And it was just natural for me to put those two together. And so while I'd be working on somebody's body, we could actually use the hypnosis, which sort of, you know, raises the curtain between the conscious and the unconscious. And they could literally start having conversations with whatever's going on in their body. Like they could talk to their headache or they could talk to their knee pain or they could talk to their autoimmune disease and, and start to get answers. And so then I started noticing that you know, people actually had answers to their own questions, which I'm sure is no surprise for you, but they all had this like deep inner knowing. And, and so then over time, I started to shift to, okay, I got to get people in touch with their own deep inner knowing, and then it'll tell them what to do to help themselves with their chronic illness. Yeah, it's so good. And, and you've captured a lot of these concepts then in your book, The Seven Tools of Healing. And I love the subtitle of the book, Unlock Your Inner Wisdom and Live the Life Your Soul Desires. And it sounds like this inner wisdom that you're unlocking is, is a key to what you're talking about. Exactly. And what I noticed is when people would get in touch with their own inner wisdom, is it would take over kind of like their own inner life coach. And it would start coaching them in what to do to solve their problems. And that's where the seven tools are. They're, they could actually be called skills. And because, you know, if you, if you try to, f if you see a part of yourself, you want to change, you try to force it to change what happens. Mm -hmm. You get, get some resistance. It's resistance. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Right. Exactly. But what happens when you practice a skill? I see. Mm -hmm. You tend to get better at it. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then once your skills improve, what you're just naturally able to do gets better. Mm -hmm. So what these seven tools are, are actually skills of healing. And so as you practice them, the healing you're just naturally able to do, gets better. You know, what I wanted to say, it's fascinating because there is a lot of discussions in the medical profession now amongst many about changing the, putting the power back in the power of the person that we are our own inner healer. And I know even in the spiritual modalities that I'm trained in, and a lot of the shamanic principles and energy principles, my focus is allowing my clients to guide me where we need to go to facilitate exactly. their own self-healing, which is a huge shift. We're coming out of a self-help era and going into more of an empowerment era, right? That's kind of part of this new world that we're going to. So 
you've been doing this for a while, which must have been quite visionary, right? Probably around the same time that Bruce Lipton was speaking about the epigenetics. And then, of course, we had the introduction of Dr. Joe Dispenza, all speaking to this self-healing. Yes, I, I got out of residency in 1985. But at that point, I was still searching for a definition of healing because um, none of the definitions were really very effective and or they were circular or they were too etheric to actually take into the exam room and apply practically. Mm -hmm. And so it took me about seven years um, of searching before I hit on a definition that I still kind of stick with today, which is uh, the healing is a process of finding out who you really are mm -hmm. and then making choices that fit that. And so that process of deep inner exploration, finding out who you are, you know, freeing yourself from limiting beliefs, um, taking back the right to define yourself from the people around you, helping people with all those things. And then they would know what diet to eat. They would know what supplements worked for them. They would know what kind of body work they needed. You know, th this knowing would just start to rise up if they could hear it and trust it. So interesting. I love that one of the tools, and maybe we'll go through some of these skills, you can enlighten us a little bit, but I noticed one was acceptance and just the, the idea of accepting the present moment, accepting who you are, accepting maybe even the circumstances that uh, brought you here. But what, why is acceptance such an important tool? Well, it's interesting you, you hit on that one because that was actually the last of the seven tools that came to me. Um, because I would just brush over it thinking, oh, you know, the more I've learned about these skills that I think acceptance is probably the most important thing because it's the acceptance. Well, if you look first at what keeps us stuck, why is change so hard? And, and it's not really hard. It's just that we're going about it the wrong way. Hmm. You know, the vast majority of what we do in our society to help ourselves grow and change doesn't actually work very well. And so if you look at why, it's because we inadvertently get ourselves stuck in resistance. And it's because we don't accept our truth in the moment right now. We want our truth to be a certain way. And so whenever we see our truth right now, we immediately jump in and try to fix it or change it. Or That puts us in, I call it a, a violating a law of consciousness, which is another topic about these you know, there's laws of science and there's laws of consciousness. But acceptance is so important because you really can't change until you accept where you are. And, and so one way of thinking about it is if you use your GPS and you put in the address where you want to go, um, what other data do you have to put into your GPS for it to work? <laughs> it always says, but where are you? <laughs> yeah. You got to put in where, where, so, where are you coming from? So what if instead of putting in where you are right now, you put in where you wished you were, mm -hmm. then would those directions help you? That much, not that no. much. <laughs> so my so wife always says, you don't need a bus to Detroit if you're already in Detroit. <laughs> right. <laughs> but the, um, that acceptance piece is literally like putting the, your starting coordinates into your own internal navigation computer so that you know where, how to get from where you are to where you need to go. Because mm -hmm. healing always implies some kind of change. But Dr. Hall, how, how does one reconcile this? You, you don't want to accept it as in, well, that's just the way it is. I can't change it. But at least allowing that that's where you are, seeing the world for what it really is right now. Uh, is that what you're describing? Not, not so much a resignation to your current situation. Exactly. So 
admitting your truth right now says nothing about five minutes from now. Mm -hmm. See, you're not prognosticating about the future by to accept where you are right now. And in fact, um, but that's a good point because if you look at how consciousness works, it basically, that's, that's our creative power. That's what allows us to create things, right? And we're actually creating our own life each moment as it unfolds. And so your creativity flows where you focus your attention. And so if you're, if you're focusing your attention on this present moment, you're going to keep creating this present moment, <laughs> right? But if you don't accept this present moment, you're violating that law of consciousness that says you shall know your truth and your truth shall mm -hmm. set mm -hmm. you free, right? Mm -hmm. So if you want to be free of some problem you're, you're experiencing right now, you've got to work with your truth of it. Right. And if you but, think of, the, you know, even the Buddhist principles or some of the spiritual consciousness laws that you're speaking to, right, you, you spoke to it. There's the surrendering. There's the being in the present moment, Eckhart Tolle, the power of now. When you're in the moment, when you're in now, it brings the power right in. And now is the only time we have the capacity to take the action necessary to cultivate a shift. Exactly. So this is a problem is if you focus on where you are right now, you're going to just keep creating more of it. But if you don't accept it, then you can't get free of it. So mm -hmm. how do you accept it without focusing on it? And I think that's the problem in personal change that most self-help techniques don't address. They probably don't even know it's a problem. But what the seven tools says, what people's inner wisdom says is, okay, you admit your moment right now. And I even put my hands back like this, say hands off. I'm not going to try to change it. What I can do is I get to choose where I focus my attention. So I'm going to see my present moment, my truth right now. And then I'm going to turn my attention off to the side. And I'm going to focus on being kind to myself that that's my present moment right now, that that's my truth. And so what you're, you're aware of your moment, but that you're focusing on being kind to yourself that it's the moment. And so since your creativity flows where you focus your awareness, if you're focusing on being kind to yourself, what are you creating more of? Mm -hmm. And then the kindness goes in and works any change that needs to happen in the next moment as it unfolds. So, so what happens is if you can see your truth right now, and your truth is all the biochemistry that's going on in your body, all the thoughts in your mind, all the influences from the environment, right? All that's in this present moment. You become aware of it. You say, yep, that's my present moment. I'm not going to mess with it. I'm just going to be kind to myself. The next moment that unfolds in your life is just a little bit kinder than that moment was. And so then you do the same thing again. This is my truth in this moment. I'm just going to be kind to myself. The next moment's a little kinder. And, and it's sort of like turning a battleship where these small incremental changes of kindness, but pretty soon you're steaming off in your life in a whole different direction that's guided by that kindness. Because mm -hmm. when we try to change with our ego mind, how often do we jump from the fire into the frying out from the frying pan into the fire, right? <laughs> and you mentioned this, the chemistry, the chemical reactions happen in your body. And I guess I wanted to pivot to how this is a skill in healing, meaning I guess you're saying because you're kind, you wouldn't uh, beat yourself up for your current situation and blame uh, or seek outside, you know, substances, whether they're food or alcohol or you know, drugs, what have you, you're, you're really saying, I don't have to blame myself, but then you can start making those incremental changes. Right. And if you made a mistake, you can be kind to yourself about that. And the next tool after that 
self-compassion is forgiveness. And it, it just naturally happens when you bring enough compassion to a situation. So you, you can forgive other people who hurt you. You can forgive this virus that's causing so much havoc. <laughs> you can forgive yourself. But if you try to force forgiveness, you're back in that arms race with it. And it doesn't really work. It's not transformational. But when I do body work on people and they hit that moment of forgiveness in their processing, it, it, it's like, imagine you have your hands on the Liberty Bell when somebody dings the bell. You just, the whole body just goes, and it's, mm -hmm. yeah, it just resonates with a, a rightness, a sense of rightness. And that kind of forgiveness is transformational. It's truly letting go. So it's no longer a boulder in your backpack anymore. So question for you. So you spoke to those that have long-time issues, long-term health issues, chronic health issues. How would you work with somebody with long-term chronic issues in your methodology and your skills? Well, start where most physicians would start. It was with a good history and uh, interested, not just physical symptoms and that sort of thing, but also... Um, I'd like to hear about a person's childhood. What was their family like? Because most of these beliefs that make up our worldview are in place in our psyche by the time we're seven years old. And that's why they call those first seven years your formative years. And how many of your first seven years do you actually remember? Hmm. Right? So I'd like to get clues from that. You know, what position in the family the person is, if they're the first kid, second kid, third kid. What, you know, just again, sort of like a timeline sort of thing. Um, obviously do a good physical exam and look and see what labs have already been ordered maybe by other practitioners. So the nice thing about integral work is we can bring in all kinds of things. So I used to, when I was first doing this work, I thought, well, maybe we just need to add more items to our differential because there's a saying in medicine that you can't make a diagnosis if you don't think of it. <laughs> right. And so the way we're trained is to do this history, physical, laboratory exam, and then try to list as many things as possible that could explain it and try to sort through those things and find the right one. And so I started adding things to my list that weren't in conventional medicine, like food allergies or adrenal fatigue or, um, you know, just these things. That, but then that led me into more and more issues um, and studying energy with, like with homeopathy and acupuncture and Reiki, starting to consider what's going on with the energy. So I look at that first. I look at all that stuff and see, you know, is there a mold allergy going on? Is there, are they having um, leaky gut for some reason? So I look at a lot of things that conventional medicine tends to miss, but then I actually, that's when I start to help them start listening to their own body. And so I teach them a body scan. I uh, let, you know, teach them how to trust their own gut sense of knowing. Like it's like trusting your first impression. And, um, and that skill gets better with practice. And then through doing the cranial work, we can, like I said, have a conversation. And, and this deep knowing usually knows what the imbalance is and how to get it back into balance, right? Yeah, I mean, that's good. Yeah, so that's, so it's, it's, it's a process of, uh, you know, it includes everything conventional medicine includes, because I don't want to skip, I don't want to miss anything important like that. Um, but then it adds in all these other elements of their uh, their beliefs because as you mentioned Bruce Lipton you know he wrote a book called The Biology of Beliefs and your beliefs literally determine how your body responds to 
an experience. Like which chemicals is your body going to make? Is it going to make oxytocin? Is it going to make cortisol? You know, it's like, um, that depends on how you look at it. For sure. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, Dr. Hall, you know, you mentioned the formative years, you know, up to seven years old, but clearly then we think about the adolescent years and the young adult years. What, how does your work apply to kids and some of the things that we could start early with some of these building blocks and skills. And uh, I, I know that you've been doing some work with children, but I'm just curious how these ideas can translate and we can back up and build the right kind of mindsets early. Yeah, so small children. So I, so I work on newborns. I work on babies, toddlers. Um, you know, Small children, I tend to stay a lot with the body work. And they're just, you know, pre-verbal children are pretty good at connecting with their own inner knowing and you can sort of feel their body processing stuff and letting things go and, and, and that kind of thing. As you get a little bit older, you know, five, six, seven year olds, they've got usually got amazing imaginations. And, and so you can tap into that and they're, they're essentially in a state of hypnosis all the time. <laughs> so, <laughs> pretty free with their thoughts. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty easy to um, get creative with them and help them, you know, start to talk to body parts and get stories and, and, um, you know, like as again, this is in, in addition to all the conventional testing and whatever needs to be done, um, from that perspective. And then teenagers, they're actually, well, young teenagers are still fairly concrete in their thinking a lot and, and everything is, you know, good or bad. It's you're either fair or it's unfair, you know? those sorts of things. And, but, but even starting around 10, 12, they can start to get a fairly good dialogue going with their own knowing and learn how to trust it and learn how to listen to their bodies. And yeah, there's, they come up with some amazing insights sometimes. Well, our guest today is Dr. Stephen Hall. Dr. Hall, how can people connect with you and learn more about your work? Well, I have two websites. One is my private practice. I'm in Issaquah, Washington. Uh, but I do telemedicine now, thanks to the pandemic. So I can do consults pretty much from anywhere. Uh, and that's just my name, uh, stephenmhallmd.com. Uh, but then I also have a, a little company where we're producing and putting on these uh, a series of classes that are based on the seven tool principles. So the seven tools are a great way to learn how to be really healthy with your feelings. And learning how to be healthy with your feelings has a lot of consequences. One, it makes you impervious to stressors in your life. So we, we have a class called Taming the Bear, Taking the Bite Out of Stress, and where you learn the seven tools so that it, it helps you not be stressed as much. And we just, uh, just launched a, an online class called Strong Foundations, Teaching Your Children to Be Healthy with Their Feelings. Because so many of the people I work with in the office are having the problems in their life they're having because they don't have a good relationship with their feelings. Because uh, feelings are just messengers. They're not the message, they're not the problem. And a lot of in our society thinks the feeling you're having is the problem and it needs to, you know, if you don't like this feeling, so you gotta get out of Fix it. Fix that right? feeling, yeah. Yeah, and, and if you're working on the feeling itself, you're working way too superficially to ever get to the root. And so we teach how feelings are these messengers, but then how do you get the feeling to deliver the message? So we teach about that. And then what do you do with the message? So, so we teach all that stuff. But imagine if children could be healthy with their feelings from the get-go mm -hmm. and grow up healthy with their feelings. And, and, and so kind of like 
how when you go take a dog training class, it's really a dog owner training class. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. So, so what a lot of this class does is actually teach the parents how to be healthy with their own feelings. And then they can model that and teach that with their children. If, if they need that, if they're already good at it, then they would be a good na just nat natural at it. But most of us have more to learn about our feelings and developing these skills to not get pulled off our centers and, yeah. and how to stay in our power. And Well, they sound helpful. And the information about these classes are on your website oh. as well? or Well, that's at another website. It's called www.the7tools. It's number seven. Okay. Dot com. TheSevenTools.com. Right. Listeners, we put both of those in the show notes so that you can uh, click and find them. So Dr. Hall, what a terrific conversation. I guess I'd like to then, as we close, think about this other part of the title of your book, and that is, you know, how to reach and live your soul's desire. How, how to overcoming these stresses and challenges and finding these opportunities really help a person then move into other possibilities in their life that they didn't think they were able to accomplish. I guess in our title of IntelliKey, that's what we're really trying to elevate to is our soul's purpose. Yeah. And I'm just curious how you've seen your tools work towards that goal. Well, as very specific and saying is live your, the life your soul desires as opposed to the life your ego desires. Um, and they're generally not the same life. And, um, but I think the soul life is a lot more satisfying and meaningful. And so I've met people that didn't know they had this deep inner knowing. They'd never actually stopped to think about it or sense into it. And so it's hard to listen to its guidance if you don't even know that you have it. And so that's the first step in the education process is saying, yeah, you do have this deep inner knowing. And in fact, it's running your body right now. It's keeping your sodium within a certain range. It's keeping your potassium within a certain range. It's keeping your skin temperature and all this stuff you don't have to think about. But it does much more than that. It knows what you came here to experience. Hmm. And so, um, so it's learning how to listen, learning how to really pay attention to what, all the information coming to you from your life. And, and then the other tools are how to work with that information. So the second tool is, is awareness. And you've, you probably recognize that as the same as mindfulness. There's a lot of people practicing mindfulness now and learning how to do that listening. But then what do you do with what you become mindful of? Very good point. Yeah. So you have to accept it and be kind to yourself about it. So mm -hmm. that's what people's inner wisdom says. So, and then the next moment unfolds. And, and so you follow your soul's guidance and it can help you make the right choices, like what career to have, what relationship to get into, how, what, what are you supposed to say to your child in this situation? And there's so many questions that our inner guidance can help us answer. Um, it, it really is nice to have that resource. Yeah. Well, we've just enjoyed this conversation so much and you've given us so much good insight. So again, listeners, it's Stephen, and that's with a V, Stephen M. Hall, MD.com. Kirsten, I can't help but think about some of the clients that you work with and the people that you uh, consult and talk to. This idea that Dr. Hall just brought up that we can live our soul's desire, not just our ego's desire. There's a lot of people with a lot of lofty goals, but are they really the heart-based goals? Yeah. That, you know, Mark, if you just even think about that premise, how different our world would be and how different business would be if we lived from that platform. And I'll share an anecdotal story about probably about 15 years ago, I met a woman and 
I had a tarot reading and I, you know, of course I'm always down for a good tarot reading. And um, at that time I was in investment banking. I was a senior vice president and she told me, you're going to get to exactly where you're, you know, setting your sights. You're going to do it. You'll, I'll be living in somewhere in Orange County on the beach in California. But when you get to the mountaintop, you are not going to be happy. <laughs> and I thought, I thought, well, that's really a bummer, right? Because I was really on a really nice trajectory into a beautiful, successful career. But I heard it. I heard that moment. And I did. I, sh- I ended a couple months later, I ended up leaving. I went in, packed my boxes and left and changed the entire direction of my life. And it's taken me a long time to finally leave the corporate world going in and out. I had to keep trying it a couple of times, but um, to live your soul's purpose and live from that perspective, you know, speaking to Dr. Hall right now, you know, my body is healing. I'm a much happier person. I'm a better parent, even though my children are older, I'm the parent I want to be and the parent they need me to be, not the parent that I thought they should be so they go to the right schools. So I look good, right? All of these things. So in the people that I am around, I enjoy a lot more. I actually like the people I spend my days with rather than stuck with people I really don't like, you know, or are probably not even that good if, you know, they have a lot of work to do for themselves. So this whole conversation on, I love exactly what you said. And Mark, you noted it, you know, as a, a really important line, live your soul's desire, not your ego desire. I mean, that's huge, yeah, right? It says so much. Well, Dr. Hallway, thank you so much for being our guest today. We really appreciated the conversation. Well, thank you so much for hosting this conversation and how many of these kinds of conversations you're giving to the world. Well, we appreciate that. Thanks so much. Well, folks, our guest has been Dr. Stephen Hall. He's the author of The Seven Tools of Healing, Unlock Your Inner Wisdom and Live the Life Your Soul Desires. And that's what our conversation has been all about. And I know, Kirsten, you'd like to continue this with your Friday Soul Tea conversation. So folks, be sure to register for those. Totally free and complimentary. Thank you. Yes. And listeners, come back again next time. We'll continue this pursuit of what it takes to achieve our own entelechy in life and in business. And that's our soul's desire. It's our soul's purpose. That's what our podcast is all about here at IntelliKey Leadership Stories. For Kirsten Goldie, I'm Mark Stenson, and we'll see you next time. You've been listening to IntelliKey Leadership Stories. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and many more. On behalf of your hosts, Kirsten Goldie and Mark Stenson, thanks for listening to IntelliKey Leadership Stories. If you like IntelliKey Leadership Stories, I want to tell you about another podcast I host called Unlocking Your World of Creativity. Each episode features an expert from somewhere around the globe that tells us about how they get inspired, how they organize their ideas, and how they gain the confidence and connections to get their work out into the world. From singer-songwriters to entrepreneurs, On topics like data analytics to hotel management, we talk to experts from Milan and Oslo, Buenos Aires and Los Angeles, all over the globe to bring you the best ideas and inspiring your creative thinking. You can find Unlocking Your World of Creativity wherever you listen to podcasts.